just a couple of announcements before we get started today. And the first is um, such a cool thing that we can do. And it, we have, um, it's how to, to listen um, or watch on your iPhone if you have one. There is an iPhone app for Watermark now. But you didn't know that, but there is, and this is how it works. Just listen. I'm going to tell you really carefully. Um, I think I'll get it right, and if not, email Mark Nicholson, mnicholson at watermark.org if you have any problems because he will help you. But basically, he said you go to the iTunes store and you just download the Watermark app. It's free. I love that. It's free, and um, when you click on the on the Watermark app, after it downloads, it takes a few minutes to come up, and across the top will be three a bar with three options. On the far right, it says Channels. You touch Channels, and then comes Women, Men, blah, 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 whatever else they have. I don't know, but Women's at the top, or maybe the second one. And you just touch Women, and it will give you Wednesday morning, Thursday night, and other various options for women's things. And you can listen or watch right there on your iPhone. It's really, really cool. So um, I definitely want to say that for the gals that are studying with us um, at A&M, because I know those college girls definitely know how to use that. Um, the other thing I want to remind you about is really through the month of September, um, we're going to continue to take Africa donations. And um, my apologies, we didn't put the bin out today, the laundry hamper. But um, we have a team departing this Saturday for Burundi. We have a team departing the 1st of October for Uganda. So we could still use reading glasses of any strength. And I've heard there's a store called the Dollar Tree where literally they cost a dollar. So that's a great deal. Um, and gently used, uh, gently worn children's infant and all the way up to toddler clothing. And I told you my little tip last week. Um, I mean, anything from a garage sale, trust me, ladies, if you've been there, these little kids' pants are split up the, there, there's no seam left. There, there's like, you know, barely a waistband hanging on. You, I don't know how to explain that a little stain on it is not gonna make a difference in Africa. Just having the clothing makes the difference. And so I even, um, once a month, the Salvation Army and Goodwill stores actually have a sale, and everything in the store is half of what, because they want to just keep clearing it out. And so literally, you can walk in there, and for a dollar a piece, you can have you know, a little dress, an outfit, etc. So just, I'm not saying you need to buy, but I'm just trying to explain your garage sale things, things that your children have grown out of, are great to, to donate um, to Africa. And then as well, we can still always use t-shirts, the old cast-offs, the ones that were left behind from college or whatever of your children, or maybe even your husband has some of those t-shirts laying around. Large and extra large are great because what we do is we split those open and we roll them and take them to Africa and the, the widows there in Kampala um, piece them down into tiny, tiny pieces that they then knit beautiful scarves and you're going to get to see them in October. We've had them here before and it's reduced, reused, recycled. It's really fun. So um, we can use those as well. And then lastly, in your chair as you sat down, we have a couple handouts for you today. One is the memory work and we would love to have you guys all memorize Psalm 8 with us. And that is there, and um, it's really wonderful. You can see that Kay did it with cute little pictures that will just help click your mind. Oh, yeah, that's what that is. That's what that word stands for. So it's really um, a great, fun way to memorize. And then something else that I'm going to refer to later. So if you're in a chair that doesn't have one, just move around because we put them everywhere we could, and there's plenty of chairs that are 
Um, we have you know, a few empty chairs, so we'll get you one. Don't leave without it. Okay, so Daniel 1. I want you to think back with me for a moment, if you would, to the last time you were really, really scared. Scared spitless. Um, and what emotions arose? What, all, what, what came up in your mind? And well, I can tell you the last time I was really, really scared because it was just this past summer. Um, you guys know last spring I mentioned to you our daughter was um, going to Midland to work all summer. So girl out of the house, it's a boy house. Um, we um, adopted and had four young men and my son in college living with us. And so we had five young men living in our house this summer. It was lots of fun. Um, but it, it, there were lots of funny things that happened too. And one of them was one night. I was cooking and um, was taking some things. We have a refrigerator that is out in our garage, and our garage is detached. It's away from our house. And it has two doors, and they operate separately. And I always leave one door open, usually, always. But those aren't the same thing. But anyway, I leave the door open, especially when my car is there. And that's how you know I'm home. Um, and so, anyway, the door on the left side was open and that's where I would walk through to go back to where the, the freezer is on the right and store stuff that I had been working on preparing to put away but the door on the right side was down and so it's night I just go trolling out there I go through the entrance and do you know how sometimes you don't even see something but you feel something and I could, the minute I crossed the threshold into the garage, I could feel someone there. And out of my periphery, I could see a body standing. And I mean, I just, <gasps> and I jumped up, and, and, and this young man was about to jump, too. He's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, knew, I could hear you coming, and I know if I yelled, I was going to scare you, but if I didn't say anything, I mean, we were both like, you know, just that moment of, he was taking his bike out. What in the world was he doing riding at 11 o'clock at night? I don't know, but that doesn't matter. But he's standing there with his bike ready, and he's looking at me like a deer in the headlights because he just knew it was going to happen, and he didn't know how to stop it. But I, for an hour after, my heart was just boo 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 you know? And, and, it, and it was just a second. I really wasn't. I mean, I knew there was no threat on my life, really, and yet that emotion was so at the top of the surface. I want you to watch this clip with me in just a moment because we're talking about fear this morning. And let me set this up very quickly before they hit the button to roll. Um, this is every parent's nightmare. Your kid goes for a fun trip in Europe and watch with me what real fear looks like. My daughter leaves Saturday with a group from Texas A&M for Italy. That is very frightening to watch. Um, and yet I think this clip more than anything captures what Daniel's experience really was. He was taken by force just like the girl in this movie, taken against his will. And that evokes fear. Webster's defines fear as a distressing emotion. It's aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. So I would like you to open your Bibles, if you would, with me to Daniel chapter 1, and let's look at what we can learn about fear and what we can learn about faith from God in this book. And there's really three things about Daniel that we're going to focus on. We're going to look at the fact that Daniel's freedom was denied. Everything he knew and held dear to this point in time was taken from him, just like it was for this girl at that moment. His food was refined, and there's a lot that is built into that, and you got a chance to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about that. And then lastly, his faith was applied. 
So look at uh, the first seven verses with me where we see Daniel's freedom denied. This is what happens when you are captured or carried away. You lose your freedom or freedoms, whatever they are. Um, in verse 3, read with me. Um, I think it's very interesting how my Bible words it. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. To bring. Now, doesn't that sound like such a nice word, bring? I just don't know if you've watched any movies about the ancient Middle East, but there was no bringing, there was no bringing to it. He was taken just like the emotion and fear here. He was a captured prisoner of war, if you would. That's what he was. Um, now, they didn't want to, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm sure they probably did hurt them in some way, shape, or form, but they, they wanted to take them to use them, to take the best of the best. This is capturing the booty. Many times they took the silver, the gold, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they took people that were the best of the best as well. That was part of the spoil of war, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. That's what he did with Daniel. So he was taken against his will to a foreign place. Our text, we talked about this last week, says that Daniel was a youth. And we know youth, in some translations, it says teen, could be anywhere from 13 to 19. And as I told you last week, I, my son turned 19 his, his uh, spring of his freshman year in college. And I cannot imagine, even at the upper end of a teen or a youth, him being taken from us at that point, never to be returned. And yet that's what happened to Daniel. That's his story. He was taken and he never went back to Israel. He became an old man and died in a foreign land. Do you think he called Babylon home? I'm going to go home. I'll, I'll, I'll just see you later at the house, at my home. Did he ever see himself at home in Babylon? I don't really think so. I think he was there and he knew he was there for a purpose, but he said, I'm a an alien and a stranger in this place. And is that not so much what we are? If you are a follower of Christ, if you really are trying to live your life according to what this book says, then you women are aliens and strangers in this place. You don't fit here. This is not your home. So don't get too comfortable. You may live here till you die. Well, you will. But, um, but when you die, you will go to your real home. And I love um, just even thinking about that in just a practical sense. My dad is a country boy. He was a poor country boy in every sense of the word. And to this day, he says, when he says certain words, we laugh and we tease him because he says fresh and he says spatial. And we know he's from the country when he says stuff like that. Um, so he didn't really say all of that, but he definitely, when he says fresh and special, he doesn't say fresh. He says fresh and spatial. And we tease him a whole lot about it. And we say, that's that little saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the out of the boy. And that's the deal with Daniel here. This is his story. You could take him out of his homeland, but he was a son of the King Most High, and you could not take that out of him no matter what you did. Dear friends, Peter tells us, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul, but live such good lives, where? Among the pagans, Girls, we are supposed to be in the world, not of it. Don't pull yourself out. Don't separate yourself away among the pagans that they may um, 
that though they would accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your, your good deeds <coughs> and glorify God from 1 Peter 2.11. So clearly, we have the map, and the map says we are to be here in a foreign place, but we are to live above reproach. And so what changed for Daniel? Well, really everything. When you look at it, their names changed, their language changed, the culture changed, their positions changed. They were, they were nobility. They were from the royal family, the highest of the highest, the best of the best in their culture. All of that changed. And um, it just, I've had a lot of opportunities to be in Africa. And I'm telling you, all you have to do, I try to prepare people and say, the moment you touch down, it will be a, an onslaught on all your senses. Because it smells different, it looks different, it sounds different. If you've been dropped into a foreign country, you know this is not Kansas anymore. I mean, it is different here, and that's exactly what happened. And you got to study and talk a lot about names and how important their names had been given to them, how important that was to the Jewish culture, that your name had deep meaning. And yet their names were changed, and they seemed to, to accept those. And their names changed actually to reflect the foreign God. Um, but again, you can take the name out of the boy, but you can't you know, etc. And so what we know, I think it's strange though, as, as I hope you got a chance to talk about this in your groups, strange, the things they did accept. And then how do they get to the thing they didn't? How do they decide where to draw the line? For whatever reason, and I'm going to talk about it in a moment, you can bet your life that they drew the line exactly where it was supposed to be, which is exactly where God said it should be. And that's why you need to know what God calls you to so you can know where to draw the line. Like these guys in Jewish, these Jewish young boys in a foreign land in Babylon, we have to think through where our culture is asking us, demanding that we submit, demanding that we change and be like everybody else. And you know that famous line that every teenager says, well, everybody's doing it. Well, everybody's going to the party. Well, everybody, I mean, okay. You know, as a parent, you get to pull, peel that away and go, well, really, everybody? And you get to try to help kids work through that. So what, what does that look like on a practical sense? Well, Kyle and I get a, the opportunity to do lots of premarital counseling. I'll just give you this tiny example. We're actually working with several couples right now, one of which is a couple that um, say that they are committed Christ followers. But... There's something that causes us to cause, ask questions, and we've asked a lot, because along with that, this couple is living together. And so prior to the marriage ceremony, and they're getting married next year, but they said, you know what, none, none of our friends have any problem with it, and our family, our family uh, thinks it's fine, so you know, we're committed to each other. And Kyle very gently has really spent a lot of time with the young man because he's the leader of this household to be. And he's challenged him to say, you know what, I, I just got to tell you, you are confusing everyone. Because you say on one hand that you are following Christ, but you are living in direct opposition because I can show you lots of places in here where it says that that's really not God's best. That's not his best idea for you right now. And there's lots of reasons and research to back up why that is the case. Not the least of which is John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Okay, so you say you love me, but you're going to do what you want to do. Just decide which is it. Because continuing to do what you're doing, you're confusing everyone who's saying, okay, you say you're this, but you're acting like that. No wonder our culture is so messed up. So where has the culture captured you um, or caused you, forced you to be an alien and a stranger? 
or, or force you to be like them when really you should be the alien and stranger, the one standing up to make a difference. The Bible is really clear. God calls us to have Him and Him alone as first place in our hearts. He says it like this, don't love the world or anything. Now, He didn't say don't live in the world, don't be in the world, don't love. Don't love the world or anything in it. If anybody loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Or he says it like this, that's from 1 John in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise to the other. Which are you? And I would just say, find community, other people who are like-minded. Don't process or think through things with folks who don't follow God's word. Because I guarantee you, you will get every answer under the book. They will give you all kinds of things and you will be confused. There's no question. But grab a few people that say their whole life is about following this book and process through, think through the decisions that you have in life with them using God's word as your guide. Let's all commit to be firm where the Bible's firm and flexible where it's flexible because clearly there was lots of flexibility and Daniel allowed lots of things to unfold as they did and where the line needed to be drawn, he was firm. And that takes us to his food being refined. Daniel took a stand. I love that old Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler. He knew when to hold them and he knew when to fold them. I mean, that, I think that's the story here. That's exactly, perfectly describes Daniel because in verse 8 we read, um, it says that the food was defiling. Twice it uses. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself, blah, 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 blah. Um, therefore, he asked Chief Dean to allow him not to defile himself. So it doesn't really tell us exactly what the situation is other than whatever he was being given was going to defile him. Now, how would Daniel know that? Well, and what could it have been? Number one, Daniel would have had to know it because he was taught it. At home, that's a whole other subject. But he had been taught and prepared all his life for this moment to know what the law required of him. He knew. And so what could this have meant? Well, it could have meant that, that obviously whatever was being served to him was, was defiling him according to Jewish law. But we go on down and we read that they ate vegetables only. Well, ladies, Jewish law doesn't demand that you eat vegetables i.e., why would we serve lamb at the Passover meal? I mean, there's nothing, go back to Leviticus and read, there's nothing precluding Jews from having meat, and yet these young men were served vegetables only. So, it doesn't tell us, but perhaps you could extrapolate and say something else had been done to the food, and in pagan cultures, what was often done with meat was it was sacrificed to idols that would make it defiling. I don't know that that's the case, but that would be what it was. Or maybe it was just that the provisions of the king were so lavish, um, so extravagant in this culture, because you see, meat in this day and age would have been an extravagance, and maybe there was so much of it, think Texas Day Brazil, or whatever, one of those, you know, <laughs> where they just keep bringing it, and you like can't even walk out of there at the end of the night, but you paid for it, so you're gonna keep eating it. Um, I know, I know how you work. So, um, you know, that maybe it was just the excess was so great that Daniel just said, enough, no, I don't know. The bottom line is it was going to defile. And so he said, therein is the law, and he drew it. 
So what enabled Daniel to make such a firm stand at this point? And I, I really already said it. I believe it's the foundation he came into Babylon with. So one his parents had built in him. And that's a whole nother subject. But isn't that what we all want? For our kids to do the right thing when nobody is looking? When no one is there? Don't you love it when someone calls you and goes, I just have to tell you about your son or your daughter, something I saw them do. And there is no prouder moment for a parent than to hear that your child did well when you weren't there, when maybe he or she thought no one was looking. So there's a responsibility as a parent to raise your children up, to know and understand this law, not just to be good kids, not to just be moral agents. That's not the command we're given. And I wish I had time to talk about it, but I don't. And so if you're in here with young children, I would just say, go to Building Blocks, Holly Barnett, wherever you are. That was a little, uh, I'm, I'm advertising for your ministry. But go to Building Blocks where you can learn all about how to parent your children from the womb right on up. And then the second thing that I think is so cool about this food, this whole food thing, is that Daniel simply offered an alternative to the chief eunuch. Verse 9 says, he asked him, that sounds so polite, so he's just a perfect gentleman. He could have demanded his rights from the eunuch. Oh, oh yeah, he didn't have any rights because he was a captured prisoner of war, so he didn't have that option. He could have been ugly about it even when he said it. I will not eat that. I mean, he could have. It doesn't appear in any way, shape, or form that he was. He asked, and in it, there was a huge risk not only for himself, but he was risking the life of the other dude as well. And you see that the guy's like, whoa, I don't, mm. so he proposed a test. I love it. I love tests, proposals, alternatives. They work in all kinds of scenarios and situations. And the reason he did it is because he knew that God could be trusted with every area of his life, this one as well. And I love that Proverbs 16, 7 tells us, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You going into a meeting where you're afraid, where you've got people in, I don't know, government, PTA, I don't know what it is, and you, you're trying to take a stand, tuck this verse away. Know that God is your advocate. You don't have to be. You ask, you appeal to authority in, in the in the way in which scripture calls you to, read Esther, read 1 Kings, there was a beautiful way to appeal to authority that doesn't grate against those in power. There is a way to engage with the world. And um, Daniel, I think, is the poster child. And it just made me, it, it just lies in such stark contrast to a couple of examples just this past week that I loved. It made me think so much of this guy named Terry Jones who was going to burn the Koran on 9-11. I don't know if you saw it, but people were calling him a crackpot, etc. This is a guy who calls himself a believer, but you know what? If I got an opportunity to talk to him, I would say, and just where in Scripture did you get, do you find the command to burn the Koran in front of you? Where is that a good idea? What verse in here tells you that that is a good thing to do? It, it just floors me sometimes how, again, well-intentioned people working on their own, doing what they believe can lead them so far astray and bump up in such a rude way to cult to the world. The whole world had to come onto the stage to speak into this guy's life to say, excuse me, but do you have any idea what you're saying or doing or suggesting? Um, not the least of which it's, it's not loving, but as well, you're, you're going to risk the lives of many American men and women serving 
in the Middle East right now. And that's such a stark contrast to Denny Slayton. I love this woman, her journey. She wrote a journey last Thursday. And did we get it? Is it on there? Do we have a slide of it? I don't know if we do. I was going to try to find a slide, but if not, I'm going to read a little excerpt. Oh, see, there she is, cute Denny. Denny wrote a... Um, a journey and it was all about listen to her central truth Jesus was so winsome that sinners were drawn to him she goes on and says Jesus was a magnet everybody wanted to come near and listen to him sinners could see that they mattered to Christ he recognized them loved them didn't focus on their sin reading how comfortable those far from God are was were around Jesus challenges me that's what she says am I Denny says so approachable so winsome that those far from Christ seek me out Wow, Luke 15, 1, the passage she was writing on. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. We should be women today who are drawing others to Christ, not repelling them by our radical stand. We can hold to our convictions and yet still be attractive. It tells us so right here, Jesus was. So be like Christ. And that takes us to our last point is Daniel's faith was applied. God will save the day. We sang about it today. We sing about it often on Sunday morning with that song, My Glorious. I love it. God will save the day. He did that. At the end of 10 days, these young men were healthier than all the others. I think Daniel and his friends were really the first advertisement for the fad diet things. You know, they literally could have, you remember those got milk um, ads where you see somebody with the little milk mustache, got milk, blah, blah. Well, these guys could have been seen in there, got veggies, get fit or fat. Because everyone else was probably fat and they were fit because they've been eating their veggies. So there you are. Daniel dared to believe God's word and to trust him for whatever the outcome would be, whether it's what he thinks is good or bad, it didn't matter. He was willing to trust. What a novel idea. Trust God? Wow. God did then sustain and honor them for their faith. How great that he not only protected them, but he elevated them to the highest positions in Babylon, many places, spread them out. Why? So that they could be his advocates, so that they could be used for his purpose and his glory, which is exactly what God wants to do with you. I don't know where you live. I don't know where you work. I don't know what circles you run in or who you, who you, slow down, who your family is. But God wants to use you in the middle of wherever he has you, just like he did Daniel. Do not fear. No fear. I think it's really interesting how even like um, in our own military, God is always looking for a few good men. You know how we had that slogan for the military? Because in Scripture, it's, read, it's written this way in 2 Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro looking for those who honor them. That's, he's looking for you. He's looking for you to honor him, to trust him in every area of your life. And know that, that then ultimately faith wins over fear because that's what happened in Daniel's life. Does the passage say that Daniel had no fear? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. What it does show, though, because of his actions, is that Daniel had more faith than he had fear. I think he probably was afraid. I'm afraid when I have to tell somebody something that I don't want to say or speak words that are difficult. I have fear and emotion that rises up within me. I think we often cave to those temptations because, again, we, we feel insecure or um, we're not really sure that God has our best interest in, at heart and that this is going to come out okay for us. 
And yet, Proverbs 4, 5, and 6 says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Well, in eight short months, my son is going to graduate from college. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe it. He still can't balance a checkbook. He spends every penny he is given. We get to the end of every month, and he's, like, hanging on a string in a prayer. And, like, I have no money. Really, I'm thinking, you know, you have no idea what having no money is like because he's going to get into his car with a few little friends and his dream is to drive to L.A. and take all of his film background and try to become an actor. Could I be fearful of this? Absolutely. Um, I could. And again, he thinks he's having it hard now working on mom and dad's dime. Have you ever heard starving artist? I think he doesn't know what it means. But like Daniel, I've got to put my trust in God. I've got to know that he has plans for Jordan. He's got him in the palm of his hand. And he has good things in store for him. It may not look at all like I have written it in my mind. It's not already looking like it. And um, it probably won't look like it for the next few years. I don't know if it ever will but I can be sure it's going to look exactly like God wanted it. I love Psalm 1 1 and 3. Blessed is the man. And it goes on, doesn't walk, doesn't stand, doesn't sit. But then it goes on, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Jordan, be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that you do, you will prosper. Wow. I know I've got so much ground to take in this area of building faith, living on faith and not in fear. I think all of us do as parents in here. If you have raised a child or are raising a child, you know exactly what I mean. I see examples all around me of godly parents that are caving in and giving in to fear. And they are parenting and making choices and decisions for their family based on fear and not faith. I love um, this little thing that I put on each of your um, chairs from my friend Suzanne Sanderson. And this is what it says. Trust, which means trust in God, obviously, protects you from obsessing and worrying. Thankfulness protects you from criticizing and complaining. This is just a great reminder on my desk. Trust. Yeah, I don't want to be obsessive about making this decision. Audrey Thompson trying to decide on where she's going to go for a summer. And, and she's like, oh, my gosh, listening to what everybody's saying. And, and you can suddenly start obsessing over little things. Don't, no, trust in God. When you do, when you begin to obsess, you've taken God out of the equation. When you trust God, you don't need to obsess, nor do you need to worry. That is powerful for parents. So who are you trusting today? That's my question. God or yourself, whether it's getting your kid into the right preschool, on the right team, um, or to enter the right college, those of you that have kids in high school, um, who are you trusting most? And then what about you that are sitting here with no children? What are you fearful of today? Is it your job, the future of it, the tenuousness of it? Is it the spouse? Oh, oh, or the lack of a spouse that you don't have. Or is it your finances or your health? What is it you're afraid of? No matter what you're fearful of, fearful of right now, let's learn from Daniel, women, to place our, God, our trust in God alone. Um, and let this card remind you, if God is for us, who can be against us? Father, we just thank you that you are trustworthy. And I just pray in my own heart that you will help me to grab hold of that and really act on it in everything I do. In your precious name, amen. <laughs>